Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. So we're going to talk a little bit uh, this morning about love lifted me. Last week we talked about understanding God's love. And I think that now that we uh, can on some level begin to understand, begin to comprehend on some level the love that God has for us. I don't think we can fully understand it. You may think you do, but I just don't know that you fully grasp the height and the depth, the width of his love and the length of his love. We know he died on the cross. We know all of those things with our head knowledge. But do we fully understand the love that God has for us? But now that we kind of talked about it last week and we kind of uh, dwelled on that just for a moment, we can comprehend to some degree uh, the love that he has for us. And he wants us, here's the thing, he wants us to love each other in that same way. And that's where I'll be the first to admit, I won't put it on you, but I'll, I'll be the first to admit that's one of the areas I know I fall short. And, um, you know, I, I, I absolutely love our local, I love the church, and, but more specifically, I absolutely love this church and the love that you have for my wife and my family and I, uh, it, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And um, when I think about the love that God has for us beyond the cross, if you can believe that, there is a beyond the cross. It's hard for us to fathom that there's love greater than the cross. But uh, just think about that. Before the foundation of the world, a lamb was slain. So before the foundation of the world, he already knew what he was going to do. That's the depth of the love that I'm talking about. Not knowing if everyone would accept him, he knew what he was going to do. That's the, the height of love that we're talking about this morning. He's so God, his only son in faith, in a hope that people would believe in his son. Though he sent his prophets and they beat them and killed them. Though he sent others and they rejected them. Finally, he sent his own son. That's the width and the length of the love that we're talking about. And that's the love that God wants us to have for each other. That's the love he wants us to have for each other. And we can't give up on trying to love one another the way God loves us. Even though we fall short sometimes, we can't give up on that. Why? Because it's a commandment. You know, in the book of John, uh, chapter 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Remember this? You remember that now? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Can love really be a commandment? Well, it can because it's a choice. We choose to love one another. See, love may or may not be accompanied by emotion. In Matthew 5.44, God, Jesus even tells us, to love our enemies. So I know you don't have uh, that love emotion you have for your spouse when you love your enemy. So we know that it goes beyond emotion, this commandment. And we have to learn how to be compassionate and be righteous at the same time. That's what we have to learn from God. Because many of us 
Uh, we love and we're righteous. I'm going to tell you what the Bible said. I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't do that. And I'm going to tell you why you need to be better. And I'm going to tell you why you need to live up to that standard. And it's all righteous. It's all according to Scripture. But without compassion, it's not God's love. And then some of us are compassionate. That's okay. It's going to be all right. God loves you. Everything's going to be all right. But no standard. No righteousness. No, hold, no accountability. And when we do that, that's not God's love either. That's what we used to call sloppy agape. It's not God's love either. And so that's what we have to learn. That's what God has to show us. How to love like you love. How to love like you love. If, if, love. if you're righteous and you're compassionate, you have a standard, you can tell the truth and people will receive it. But if you have that standard and no heart, it's going to come across cold as ice. If you have no standard and you're all compassion with no accountability, people are going to listen to you. It's too mushy. It's, it's uh, you know, I, you, you, don't, you don't have any, you don't mean what you say. I don't believe that you really love me. And so Paul expressed this very well in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, our base scripture for these two weeks, the first couple of verses. The New King James Version puts it this way. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in what? Love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet smelling aroma. And then watch this, the message version, if we have that, uh, the message version puts it this way. I, and I love the way Eugene uh, Peterson put it here. It, it just, it, it cuts to the heart. I know the message version sometimes can be a little mushy. That's, that's the way I've always looked at it. And so that's why I always look at the New King James for me personally. It, it doesn't have to be you, but just me. Uh, I kind of always look at that as my base uh, translation. Uh, but I love the way he put this one. He said, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does out of all the things that he does, mostly what he does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, and I love this word. I love that he inserted this particular word. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. That means he didn't hold back. He didn't have a fear of being hurt. He didn't have a fear of rejection. He didn't have a fear of embarrassment like I do so often. He said his love was extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then Paul said, love like that. Love like that. Just when I think I understand what love is, I read scripture and the Holy Spirit convicts my heart. And you know, one of the things that we do is we choose how we love. We choose our own definition of love. Thinking about this story about this little girl. And um, she stayed for dinner at the home of her friend. And the vegetable was buttered broccoli. Now that happens to be one of my favorites, but 
Not all kids like buttered broccoli. And the mother, mother, the mother, the buttered broccoli and the mother, the mother said, do you, do you like, do you like broccoli? And uh, she said very politely, oh yes, you know, I, I love it. it. I like broccoli. But when the bowl of broccoli was passed, she declined to take any. Well, the, the mother, the hostess said, well, I thought you said you loved broccoli. And the girl replied, oh yes, ma'am, but not enough to eat it. <laughs> you see, one of the things is we don't get to choose how we love. And I think of this story, I won't read it, but I think of this story in Luke. I think it's in chapter 10. You know better than me, uh, theologians out there. I think it's Luke chapter 10. It talks about the Good Samaritan. You ever heard of that story? The Good Samaritan, where the guy was beat up and, you know, a Pharisee came by and the, someone else came by and finally the Samaritan came by. And I, I think of that story and I think about how Jesus was emphasizing love your neighbors. And I think about how we choose our neighbors. People at church are my neighbors. Maybe the person that lives next door to us is our neighbor because she brought over banana bread one time. So she's definitely our neighbor and her daughter sell Girl Scout cookies. She's definitely our neighbor. Okay. But someone I meet on the street, someone I meet at the gym, someone I meet uh, at uh, the grocery store, someone who cuts me off in traffic. I, I don't know that that's my neighbor. But guess what? You don't get to choose your neighbor. Unfortunately for you, fortunately for love, you don't get to choose. We don't get to love our neighbors according to what our definition of love is. You see, love is already defined for us in Scripture. And if we are to compare our love for others with anything, we must compare it with God's love for us. And so if God were like us and said, I'm just going to choose my neighbors, who would he have chosen? He would have chosen, he certainly would have, would have chosen Peter or Paul who was killing Christians. Come on. He probably wouldn't have chosen Thomas because Thomas was with him until uh, some impossible situation presented itself. And then he said, I doubt that. Come on. By the way, can I throw something in about Thomas that just came to mind? Thank you, Holy Spirit. You know, when we think about Thomas, we gave him a nickname, didn't we? What's the nickname we gave for Thomas? Doubting Thomas. But you know, one of the things that I've, I've read in Scripture is before that, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, you know, I must go to Jerusalem to die. He said those words to them. You know what? Thomas said, let us go with him that we might die also with him. So though we look at Thomas as doubting Thomas, we forget about he was the one who said, if he's going to sacrifice his life, let us do it with him. We're talking about loving your neighbors this morning on Valentine's Day. And so what we have to understand is Christ loved us and we may never live up to that standard of the way that he loved us. But guess what? It is the standard. We may never live up to it. I'm not speaking negatively. I'm not giving you a negative confession. But what I'm telling you is if, if you never live up to it and you live to be 195 years old, that still is the standard. That is what you strive for every day of your 195 years if you live to be that long or however long you are on this earth. That's the standard. And we can never forget that. That when we say, I'm going to love my neighbor, are you? Because the standard is the way that God loves you, 
not just loved you. I know the scripture says the way that Christ loved us, but guess what? He didn't just love you, loved you, loved it, did you. He loves you. He loves you. He continues to love you. And that is our standard. Let me throw a, a couple of other scriptures at you. First Peter uh, chapter 4 verse 8 says this in the New King James. It says, and above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We love to quote that love will cover a multitude of sins. But look right before that, Peter said, have fervent love. Here's what that means. The message translation said it this way. Most of all, love each other, guess what? As if your life depended on it. Love each other as if your life depended on the message version, as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. And then in John, he says, Beloved, let us love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment. I love that he uses this word commandment. Commandment. And then in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, he says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And here, here, this, this, this is an indictment on some of us, some of our hearts. And whoever loves, by the way, he's talking about the way God loves. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, ooh, what are you saying here? Does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Now that's, that's a little harsh. But you know what it tells me is that God doesn't take love lightly. That's why he's so harsh with you. That's why Peter and John and Paul are so harsh with you when they give us these words of encouragement. Anyone who does not love does not know God. This is the standard, folks. And in Galatians, Paul told the church at Galatia here in chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, he said, For you, brethren have been called to liberty. That means freedom. But only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through what? Love. Not through obligation. Not through selfishness or self-centeredness. But through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what he is imploring us to do. Loving one another includes serving one another. Your appliances at home are your servants. Think about that. When we talk about serving one another, put it into perspective for you. You know, when you go home, maybe this afternoon or sometime this week, and you look at your stove, the question won't be, uh, become from your stove, uh, let's see, what am I going to cook today for you? No, your stove says, what do you want me to cook? What do you want me to warm up? What do you want me to heat up? What do you want me to fry? I shouldn't say that, but what do you want me to bake? <laughs> your refrigerator doesn't look at you and say, I'm, I'm going to keep cold uh, what I want to keep cold. No, what it says is, what do you want to keep fresh? What do you want to keep cold? You see, but we're, we're not like that. God wants us to be like those appliances. But the way we are is, I know what's best for you. You have this issue, so here's what I'm going to do because I know better. And what we're really saying is, I know better than God. 
Because often, instead of seeking God to say, what should I do? Now, I'm not talking about a lack of accountability. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying a lot of times we don't seek God and say, God, what should I do? We just do what we feel is best. But that's not the way we should serve one another. So what prevents us? Let me throw out some things that just prevent us from loving one another the way God wants us to love. You know, some have failed to respond out of a fear for personal safety and a strong desire for self-preservation. You know, we are, we are in a me-first society. Come on, let's admit it. You know, I, I mean, I've fallen into it. How, you know, how's this going to affect me? How, you know, I mean, I want to help you. It's not that I don't want to help you, but I'm just thinking, how's this going to affect me? You know, I mean, how much gas do I have in my car? How much food do I have in my house? How, am I going to be embarrassed? What, do, what will Sister Carol think about me if I do this thing for you? I mean, all these thoughts come in our mind. It's about self-preservation. You know, think about this, this, this man who was robbed in this Good Samaritan story. I know I didn't read the story, but uh, many of you are familiar with it. You know, you might think if I get involved, maybe the same thing will happen to me. Maybe I'll be beaten and robbed. It's too risky. It's too risky to get involved. And then some have failed to respond just out of selfishness. You know, if I get involved, I have to change my schedule. It's going to cost me my personal finances. It's going to cost me valuable time. I mean, it takes a real commitment to get involved with the harvest. You know, one of the easiest things for us to do is to pray. And how necessary is prayer? It is absolutely necessary. But prayer alone is not the commandment from God. You know, it's like faith without action. Prayer without action, it falls on the ears of God. But prayer is also listening to what God would tell us, watch this, to do. To do. And so we, we pray, Lord, send the men from the east, the south, the north, and the west. Just sit, convict their heart, Lord, put a hook in their mouth. Uh, you know, bring them in. And God's saying, yes, I will do that, but you go out there and bring them in. Go preach my word to them. Go sacrifice some of your time. Sacrifice some of your money. Sacrifice some of your resources. That's what God is saying back to us. So we're yelling at God to do what we want him to do. And he's yelling back at us. Yes, that's what I've called you to do. I have equipped you to minister to the lost. The harvest is plentiful. And then some have failed to respond out of prejudice, if I'm just being honest, Jesus, Jesus, here's what I'm saying. Jesus introduced this thought of the Samaritan. Now, that wasn't the same culture as the Jew. We know that in history. Some of you do. That wasn't the same culture. So it was a whole different culture. It was a whole different culture. Can, let me throw this out at you. And I don't want to make you mad at me, but listen, this is a scripture. This is the Bible. This is how God wants us to change his heart, change our heart. Imagine not long after 9-11 that you were walking down the street and you saw a Middle Eastern person on the ground beaten and robbed. Now, let me not put this on you. Let me put it on me. I know what I would have thought. And I won't say it. But I know what would have come to mind. But then what would God want us to, how hard would that be to help that person at that moment? See, now, 20 years later, it's a little easier to say, well, 
but I'm talking about three weeks after that happened. Or any scenario like that. I just use that scenario because we're familiar with that here in America. Or any scenario like that where that person is not your culture and you don't like them. You don't get to choose your neighbors. Because whether you like it or not, Jesus died for everyone. He died for everyone. Again, we're remembering that there's standards. We remember that we're not perfect people. I, 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 listen, I'm not, I am not sending out a condemnation to you and saying that I'm righteous. That's why I said I know what I would have thought. Okay, God wants to change our heart as a people, as a people, all right? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's, that's hard. That's an easy scripture to say, but when you're offended, some fail to respond because they do not deem the injury or the injured man to be worthy of their attention. You know, he's not of their kind, racially, economically, socially, and unfortunately, uh, without his clothes. I mean, is he homeless? Who, who was this man anyway? I mean, you know, it's difficult to know uh, this, this man's actual station in life. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, some fail to respond out of just cold judgmentalism that suggests he probably got what he deserved. This argument says that the man should have been more careful. What's he doing walking in this neighborhood anyway? Come on, I know I have said that. When I see things on the news, I'm, I'm going, what are you doing in that neighborhood at that time of night anyway? Valid. That's valid, folks. But it doesn't mean I shouldn't help them. Even if I think that, even if I scold them, remember righteous and compassion have to work together. Even if there's a scolding, still have to help, still have to help. Some fail to respond because a wrong sense of priority or wrong understanding, all right, of God's perspective. Like the Levite that went by this man, I was probably thinking, if I help the man, I'll be late for my religious duties. I'm late to church. I've got obligations. I've got to do things. And then some fail to respond because they just feel inadequate. They don't really have an answer. I'm not a doctor. I mean, I'd like to help you, but I'm not a doctor. What am I supposed to do? They see the condition of the man, and they're sure that he's well beyond their own skill of help. I'm not a counselor. You know, I don't know how to help you uh, in rehab. I don't know how to, you know. But we have something that people don't have, and it's called the Word of God. We can pour into people's life. We can pray for them. And there are things we can do practically. Yes, you're not a doctor, but don't tell me you don't know how to put a Band-Aid on or bandage or you have never heard put pressure on the wound. You may not be a doctor, but you've heard that before. Now, if they have a broken leg, maybe that's the wrong thing to do, but you can do something. Okay, we, we can do something. We can do something and call 911. Absolutely. So then you think about all this. How then do we love one another? Just a couple things here as we get ready to finish up. How, how do we love one another? Well, just a couple things. Number one, number one, listen to this closely. Number one, we need to pursue hospitality, not just be hospitable. Every one of you in here as I look around and you watching, I see you. You're hospitable. I know you're hospitable because I know most of you. But you know what Jesus wants us to do? He wants us to pursue hospitality. Romans 12, 13 says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given, given to hospitality. 
You know, in the context of Paul discussing what it is to behave as a Christian, he mentions that we are to be given to hospitality. You know, this is a word uh, that was used as a, a, a precursor uh, to the idea that uh, I'm giving, I'm, I'm sacrificing, I'm losing something is what I'm trying to say. Given the hospitality means I may lose something and we don't want to lose anything. This word means eagerly seek after, to run swiftly after, pursue hospitality, pursue it, right? Hospitality is not a passive virtue. Pursue it, look for it. And then the second thing is see people the way God sees people. This is important. This is difficult and important. Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way. You want to see people the way God sees them? Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See people the way God sees them. Jesus died on the cross for everybody. In fact, if you were already righteous, then did you need the cross? I mean, you're righteous. I mean, he died for those that turned their back on him. He died for those that didn't know they needed a savior. He died for those who did despicable, unthinkable acts. That's who he died for. Then what are we doing? We're just here in the church. And we're just loving each other in these four walls. And we're having a grand old time. Nothing wrong with that because Jesus also commanded fellowship. We have to do it. But we can't only do that without ever giving ourselves to the lost. Understanding. I mean, just us personally with each other. How do you see your spouse? Do you see your spouse as valuable, acceptable, lovable, forgivable? Is that the way you see your spouse? The way God does? Okay, then how do you see a stranger? A stranger at the grocery store? How do you see the person that cut you off in traffic? Do you see that as a person that Jesus died for? Or a person who needs a good one of these? Maybe both, probably. What do you see when you look at other people? Do you see them as irritations? Do you see them as burdens? Do you see people you work with as enemies? Do you see them as competition? Or do you see them the way God sees them? All people matter to God, whether we want them to or not. Because I probably shouldn't say this in the love message, but I cannot be dishonest, especially in the pulpit. Shouldn't be dishonest anywhere, but I can't be dishonest right here. I'm not going to lie to you. There's, there's a couple people that uh, I, don't, I, I wish didn't matter to God. And it's hard to believe for me, isn't it? There's a couple people in life that did me wrong that I wish didn't matter so much to God. You know, I'm reminded very briefly, and I'm just about done here, but I'm reminded of Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? Kids know it as Jonah and the whale. Really, it's Jonah and the big fish. We don't know. Probably a whale. I don't know, just this huge fish, maybe a prehistoric fish that swallowed a man and he lived, right? And so you think about that story. Remember what happened at first where God told Jonah to go talk to Nineveh? And if you think about the Ninevites, I probably need to do a little more research on this. Some of you may know, Brother James, Brother Jim and Gene, you may know in this history, but the Ninevites were not very good people. From what I read, they, they would take, they would, they would attack uh, another country and, and take the king and put a hook in his mouth. 
and drag him back, you know, and do all type of things. So we're talking about despicable people. And so now you can understand. You're so mad at Jonah, but now you can understand why when God said, go preach to the Ninevites, Jonah said, I'm not doing that. I know you're the God of the universe, but I know what you're going to do. I go preach to them and they're going to repent and you're going to forgive them. And I don't think they should be forgiven. Did you see what they've done? You see what kind of people they are? So he ran the other way and we know what happened and the fish spit him out and he had to do it anyway. Sometimes you just, you're going to do it. You're just going to do it. It just depends on how you want to do it. But when we think about that, that's the kind of love that God has and all people matter to God. Doesn't matter who they are, what they've done, what they believe, they matter to God. Christ died for them. Jesus loves them. God has a plan for their lives and he wants them to have a relationship with him. So what can we do? We got to put this into practice, church. Now let's just bring it home. We got to put this into practice. What can we do within the local church? We can reach out to those that you know at church. And we do that. I believe our church does a great job and many churches do. Um, we can reach out to our visitors and our guests who are in our midst. You know, don't drive them away with your love, but, you know, <laughs> but reach out to them. Find out what their needs are, right? Uh, when you invite people to your home, sometimes include strangers. That's kind of difficult to do. They think you're weird, you know, but somebody in your neighborhood, maybe you saw them a couple of times, but you don't really know them. Invite them over for coffee or for dinner, right? Open your home to a small group ministry. We're going to start that a little bit later this year. Small groups are a great way. Uh, to evangelize because a lot of people won't come into a church building but they'll come over to your home for some cookies maybe you need to buy some Girl Scout cookies right now and freeze them for later on and then you know pull them back out and invite some people over to small groups attend a small group come on come with the idea of being ministered to and ministering what can we do outside the church? Participate with activities designed for reaching out to everyone else. You know, we, we weren't able to do it uh, this year, but usually every year we've had a church picnic. And when we say church picnic, really we use it as an evangelistic opportunity. You know, it's for us to go out, have a good time, kick the ball around, play that game you showed us, Eldon. I can't remember the name of it, but I know it was fun. <laughs> and just do, you know, do all these different things. But really the point, invite other people to have this fun and show them that, guess what? I know we're Christians and you think we're stuffy because I have this sports coat on, you know. But guess what? I can put on my tennis shoes too and we can talk about sports and shopping and we're regular people. You Who knew? Who knew that we're regular people? And so uh, we can be observant to the life that happens around you and be open to all people that you meet because there are divine appointments in our life. And you may think a divine appointment is someone who uh, is on drugs and they come up to you and say, I need some help. Often that's not the divine appointment that God will send to you. A divine appointment will be someone that cuts you off in traffic and gives you the finger. Yeah, I said that from the pulpit because pulpit, you know it happens, right? And then uh, you stop for gas later on and they stop for gas. And you see him. Sometimes that's a divine appointment. What you going to say? What are you going to do? Right? Ask God for divine appointments. I mean, in all instances, we need to order our lives in such a way as to make room for strangers, time, activities, all of these things. And in some cases, just include them in what you're already doing. In our finances and our budget. All right? We need to structure those in such a way that makes room for the stranger. 
Put something in your budget to pay for someone else's dinner that you don't even know when you're out at a restaurant or you're in line or whatever it may be. Look for ways to do these type of things. The church is taught to love. It's taught to love. Yes, we're taught to receive love, but John 13, 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples. The love that you have one for another. We can tell who is the church by seeing if people love one another. And if that love is missing, how do we know if it's really the church? Because they sing real well, they do some gospel songs or some, some, some church rock songs or whatever it is they do. They talk a certain way. You know, we have our own vernacular. As you said, Father Al, years ago, we were talking about that, how we in church have our own vernacular. You know, I get a witness to that. And, you know, is that how you know we're the church? No, that's not what Jesus said. All this stuff is great. But Jesus said, you'll know, the, the peop people will know that you're the church, that you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. And I'll just finish with this. This is emphasized here. You know this, but I just want to read this to you, and I just want you to think about this for a moment. You, you've, you've heard this. You know this. Uh, but this 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3, take this into your heart with a new perspective, okay? You know, Paul said, if I could speak. Now, this is from the New Living Translation. All right, you know I love the New King James, uh, but this is from the New Living Translation. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing.